It's remembering season in the UK, where we look back at two big events and with a mixture of fun and solemnity, noise and silence, do our best to learn the lessons of history. I'm Adam, and this is Culture Bites. A little bite into the apple of culture. I remember, as a kid, going to Bonfire Night, which is the 5th of November every year. Fireworks are set off, dogs get scared, and people go, ah. There's a huge bonfire with an effigy on the top. This is Guy Fawkes. It's the celebration of an execution. Good times. It was the early 17th century and King James I was on the throne. He was a Protestant king, so a group of Catholics decided to blow up Parliament, kill the king and install a Catholic head of state. What could go wrong? On the night before the state opening of Parliament, November 5th, 1605, Guy Fawkes was found under the House of Lords with 36 barrels of gunpowder and a match. He was the poor sod who had the privilege of lighting the fuse. But a letter had been sent just a week or so before, warning a Catholic baron to avoid Parliament on that day. The letter made its way to the king, and they were ready for the gunpowder plot. When they came across Guy Fawkes, he gave his name as John Johnson, the most obviously fake name possible. He was arrested and questioned, but stayed silent. In the meantime, the other plotters fled London, Sadly for them, however, Guy Fawkes cracked under torture and spilled the beans. The other plotters were surrounded by 200 of the king's men in a large house in Staffordshire. Some were shot and the rest taken in. By January, the trials were done and the men were condemned. They were tied to wooden panels, dragged through the streets, hanged until almost dead, castrated, disemboweled and chopped into four pieces, what we know from school as hanged, drawn and quartered. As for Guy Fawkes, he managed to jump from the gallows and killed himself before the really nasty part of the execution began. From as soon as 1606, bonfire nights began in some form, and it continues to this day. There's a poem which kids learn, which goes, Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes, Guy Fawkes, t'was his intent to blow up the king and the parliament. Three score barrels of powder below, poor old England to overthrow. By God's providence he was catched with a dark lantern and a burning match. Holler boys, holler boys, let the bells ring. Holler boys, holler boys, God save the king. People set off fireworks and build bonfires. On the bonfire goes poor old Guy Fawkes. The effigies, called guys, used to be horrible and ugly, so over time the word guy came to mean a person who looked grotesque. Then later, the word guy came to mean any man, like, all right, guys. And now, while a guy would still refer to a man, guys, in the plural form, can just mean 
any people, regardless of the gender. Although it must be said that uh, some feminists think this is a backward step. Who'd have thought that a word that can now refer to anyone comes from one guy who tried to blow up Parliament? Is Guy Fawkes the true everyman, or every person, I wonder? Every year we celebrate the fact that the conspiracy failed, that our establishment survived the coup. But there's discontent in society, and Parliament is once again reviled by the people, at least according to some. In 2009, it turned out that British MPs were using their parliamentary expenses very, shall we say, liberally. It's basically theft. It was a scandal that hollowed out trust in Parliament. Only 15 years earlier, the former PM Tony Blair took the UK to war in Iraq on a dodgy dossier of fake information, causing not only countless deaths and a huge worsening of the situation in the Middle East, but yes, a loss of trust in Parliament, which has never gone away. Now, with Brexit, Parliament is again seen as working against the people. This isn't a fair observation of what's happening, but people are ready to believe it nonetheless. And Brexit won't improve, so politicians will continue to be hated. Abusive MPs seem to be reaching fever pitch, with death threats being sent to their offices, and gleeful abuse on Twitter. The most famous bonfire night in Britain is in Lewes. Every year, the people parade with fire and burn effigies. They always burned Guy Fawkes and one of the popes, Pope Paul V, to be precise. Osama bin Laden, David Cameron and Jeremy Clarkson have all had their moments on recent bonfires. And this year, they burned a big Boris Johnson. This guy probably spoke for many when he said that... Maybe we need Guy Fawkes to maybe sort out Parliament, what do you reckon? Because nothing else has worked. Almost a week after bonfire night, we are asked to remember once again. But this time it's not for the traitors, but for the heroes. We do the remembering on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. This is when the fighting of World War I stopped. And on this hour, we have a minute or two minutes silence. It is an altogether more sombre moment, a reflection on a war which is seen more than any other as a pointless waste of life. World War I ended on November 11th, 1918, and the first Remembrance Day happened the next year. This year is the hundredth year of that tradition. The mark of Remembrance Day is the Red Poppy, and was inspired by a poem by the Canadian soldier and poet John McCrae. He was fighting in the fields of Flanders in Belgium and noticed, after a friend was killed, that poppies grew quickly around the graves. The poem goes like this. In Flanders' fields the poppies blow, between the crosses row on row that mark our place, and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up your quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw, 
the torch, be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. The end of the poem is a call for others to take on the fight, but as the years have gone by, it's gotten harder to see World War I as a great good versus evil battle in the same way as we might see World War II. For one thing, the British king and the German Kaiser were cousins, and so was the Russian Tsar. They're all cousins. Then, on the ground, men were thrown carelessly into battles which could not be won. New technology made warfare brutal and horrifying for everyone, whichever side they were on. From a 21st century perspective, another poet's work rings more true. The British poet and soldier Wilfred Owen. He wrote Dolce et Decorum Est, in 1917, while recovering from shell shock, what we'd now call PTSD, in hospital. The poem is about tired, injured men trying to walk through mud, all with the horror of gas falling nearby. It was written in response to a female poet called Jessie Pope, who guilt-tripped young men into fighting with poems, saying things like, Who's for the game? The biggest that's played, the red crushing game of a fight. Who grip and tackle the job unafraid, and who thinks he'd rather sit tight? Who'll toe the line for the signal to go? Who'll give his country a hand? Who wants a turn to himself in the show, and who wants a seat in the stand? Who knows it won't be a picnic? Not much yet eagerly shoulders a gun. Who would much rather come back with a crutch than lie low and be out of the fun? Come along, lads, but you'll come on all right, for there's only one course to pursue. Your country is up to her neck in a fight, and she's looking and calling for you. After telling of the horrors of war, Owen's response ends. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues, my friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory, the old lie. Dulce et decorum est pro patria more. The Latin at the end there comes from the Roman poet Horace and means it is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. That whole jingoistic nonsense was what Owen was pushing back at. Still, after his stint in hospital, Owen went back to fight in 1918, but he was killed one week before the end of the war. His mother found out about his death on Armistice Day. World War I was said, at the time, to be the war to end all wars, such was its horror. Well, that was until the next one, which was in part caused by the last one, and in which far more people died. And even that didn't end war. For some, the Red Poppy is too focused on the Allies, the Brits and Canadians and so on, and so fails to appreciate that other people died too, including civilians. Sometimes the poppy is also seen as too pro-war, or a way to promote more recent wars such as those in the Middle East. 
An alternative is the white poppy, which is more explicitly anti-war, as well as a symbol of remembering the casualties of all wars. The white poppy has been in place since the 1930s, but it's still controversial. These days, the whole poppy thing plays a part in the UK's culture wars, a mark of how patriotic you might be. At the beginning of November, red poppies start to pop up all over the TV. Presenters, weather reporters, interviewers will all have poppies. The BBC are especially keen to avoid offence or give the right-wing press a reason to call the BBC anti-British. In 2006, in reaction to the demand that he wear a poppy, the Channel 4 newsreader Jon Snow explained that he'd wear the poppy on Remembrance Day, but not on air. For him, the poppy is a campaign symbol, so it is political, so it's a personal thing. For taking this stance, Jon Snow guarantees some good old-fashioned online abuse. In 2012, an Irish footballer called James McLean refused to wear the poppy, earning himself death threats. Being from Ireland, symbols which represent the British Army have a different meaning. Still, every year, like Santa Claus, the abuse comes for James McLean. It does seem ironic that our soldiers fought for our freedoms, but the freedom to not wear a poppy is, for some, a freedom too far. So who will fall afoul of Remembrance Season this year? We've already had the controversy of the rainbow poppy, which has different colours and is intended to show respect to LGBT soldiers. We should be remembering all our brave soldiers and not keep those gay men hidden in shame. That gave us a couple of days of outrage, but I think there's still time for another one. Some celebrity will make a wrong move and the internet will be there to take him down. In 21st century Britain, history, nostalgia and patriotism loom large in the public debate. They mark out our tribes. The symbols of history seem to matter more than the contemplation of the lessons of history. On these two occasions, the noisy, boisterous remembering of the gunpowder plot and the quiet, thoughtful remembering of the soldiers of World War I, modern Britain has a question for itself. Are we better at respecting our heroes or are we better at berating our traitors? And what does that mean for the type of society we are becoming? Culture Bites is written and made by me, Adam Hutchings. If you use WeChat, you can follow the words. Just search for Culture Bites.